Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Awesome. Well, happy Father's Day. Um, as you guys, I don't know if you saw them when they came in, but my parents are also here, which is really exciting. Um, so I'm really excited and kind of nervous, but it's going to be um, a good Sunday. So hello, everyone. My name is Hannah Arata, and welcome to Trailside. We are so, so glad that you're here. If this is not your first time, chances are you've probably seen me up here helping lead worship, which I have absolutely loved getting to be a part of. I'm also a recent Furman graduate. I majored in anthropology and religion with a minor in film studies, so I know it's kind of a lot and probably seems kind of random, but I've been working in, uh, at Trailside for, since August, actually, um, of this past year, and I have became a member of the full-time staff as of June 2nd, so um, I've been here for a while. And <laughs> so I am from Dallas, Texas. And I have a wonderful family that includes my parents, um, and also my brother, my sister, my, um, and my brother's wife. So I'm in the, the middle child of my family, which probably explains a lot more than I would like to admit. Um, I'm incredibly extroverted, and I'm an absolute film nerd. My family is actually really well known for our movie quoting abilities, so that's where I get it from if you ever hear me do that. The whole reason I'm at Trailside preaching in front of you, which is still wild to me, is because God and I have an interesting relationship. God seems to have this way of hitting me with intense truth very clearly at seemingly random moments. Each experience I call a slap in the face because honestly, that's kind of what it feels like. It's as if God has all of a sudden just dumped cold water on my head and I get kind of startled and really surprised and honestly pretty uncomfortable because the things I'm being told are never easy. Big surprise. When I was called to ministry at age 15 on a youth group trip, when in the span of 24 hours, God let me know that I was supposed to go to Furman and not Chapman University in California, when I felt a pull to visit Trailside, God has a way of slapping me in the face with major plans. I've also never felt called to be a formal pastor. I have known that missions in some form or fashion was my calling for a long time now, and I always thought that missions and music would be my avenues for ministry. But clearly, God had other ideas because here I am before you today. Now, this whole idea of me speaking occurred in early February when Sean told me he would like me to preach in some capacity at some point for the church. Surprisingly, I didn't shy away from the idea, but I definitely put it on the back burner because at the time I was in the middle of my final semester of college and I had a ton on my plate. But the next weekend, however, I attended a women's retreat for Furman RUF, which is Reformed University Fellowship. And even though I had not attended RUF since my freshman year because it conflicted with my schedule, but all my friends were going and I felt like I should tag along. And if you guys have ever experienced senioritis, you know that you don't ever want to miss anything. And so I just felt like I should spend time with my friends and, and in reflection. So off I went. During our morning devotional time on our first day of the retreat, we were told to read John 3 and answer some questions that were provided for us about the story. John 3 tells the story of Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And the first time I read it, I didn't think much of it because I'd heard it a, a, so many times before. However, late in the day, we had our afternoon devotional and I felt the Lord pulling me to read over John 3 again before starting the next chapter. 
So I reread it, and as I was praying, God literally dropped this entire sermon just in my lap. He made it incredibly clear to me that this story was worth sharing with you all today. So I said, okay, God, amen, and got to writing down everything God was putting on my heart. I believe that this passage being taught today um, is because the story of Nicodemus is one that all of us can connect with, no matter where we are in our walk with Christ. No matter if you have been a Christian since you, since you were born or if this is your first time walking into a church. No matter if you've committed your life to spreading the gospel or you're incredibly skeptical of this whole thing. Everyone needs to hear the story of Nicodemus because in it, Jesus reminds us that we are deeply human and in desperate need of him. Maybe this is your first time here and you're debating whether or not Jesus actually is who he says he is. Maybe you have been a Christian your whole life and you've heard this story a thousand times, but regardless of your fall on that spectrum, and regardless of how you heard about our church, we are all here today, including myself, because we believe in what is going on here and want to be part of it. We believe that knowing Jesus fosters real, positive change. And with that said, turn with me now to John 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent into the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world, world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for everyone that has been brought to this place today. God, you are good. You are the Almighty Lord, and we praise you. Thank you for um, just being in this place with us this morning, Lord. I pray that you would speak through me and speak through um, your word here today, Lord, that you would just be a, um, 
you would just be in this place and that we would feel your presence, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So the first thing I would like to take note of in this passage of Scripture is the people involved. There's Jesus, and then there's Nicodemus, who, as the passage states, was a Pharisee. Now, most people, if they grew up in a Christian home, have at least heard of this title of Pharisee before. It comes with very clear connotations. Pharisees are the bad guys. And a lot of this perspective is based on the fact that, Nick, that Jesus himself, in his ministry, calls his followers to specifically not be like the Pharisees, to actively go against the notion that following the law brings salvation. In Matthew 5, 5 through 6, Jesus literally tells them not to pray on the street corners like the Pharisees did, but rather to speak to God in private. But I wanted to give a little bit of backstory on the Pharisees as a group. These people were devout followers of Judaism. They were the absolute cream of the crop, and they grew up learning the scriptures their whole lives. And over time, they would be selected as the best of the best to pursue further training until they achieved the status of Pharisee. It was an incredible honor to achieve such a title, and it was associated with spiritual superiority. The job of a Pharisee was to interpret the Jewish law and pass that information to the Jewish community in a way that was applicable and attainable. They were some of the only people who were literate and took an immense spiritual responsibility over their entire community. Pharisees in the time of Jesus were considered a key tool in living for God. Ancient Jews viewed the law as a gift from God, and to follow it as closely as possible was considered a privilege and a joy. These Pharisees were people who were taught their entire lives that this was the best way to help people live within God's covenant. They were known for being rather lenient and fair so as to accommodate as many people as possible. Now, this is not to say that, the people, that these people were sinless and perfect, but when Jesus came in and attempted to flip their entire system on its head, they understandably saw him as a threat to their people. This thought was misguided and full of selfish pride, but from their perspective, Jesus was attempting to keep the Jewish people from living within the covenant of God. And in the end, Jesus was crucified because they were trying to save the Jewish people from Jesus so that they would see the Messiah to come. Now, this isn't to say that the Pharisees were not in the wrong. Many times they would make claims that were not based in scriptural truth, and they regularly abused their power because the people had no choice but to trust them. They would stand on the street corners and showcase their piety by shouting prayers so that everyone could hear them. So in a lot of ways, it's fair to regard them as the bad guys. But I wanted to give you all a perspective on them that's a little bit more fair. The biggest difference between them and Jesus, however, was that the Pharisees sought knowledge and power. Jesus sought heart and genuine relationship. So with all this in mind, let's look back at John chapter 3. If we look at verse 10, Jesus asks, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Jesus is deeply aware of Nicodemus' status, and before he preaches the gospel, he must first shift the authority from Nicodemus to himself. He does this to establish not only who, that he is the Son of God, but also to establish who Nicodemus is not. He knows that in their society, Nicodemus should be the one with more authority. Jesus in this moment is asking Nicodemus if he really wants to lose his authority so that Jesus can speak truth. The thing I want you to point, to point out here is that if we are going to be followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to get knocked down a few notches. We have to be willing to relinquish control because God knows the spaces in our lives where we hold certain things in a death grip instead of giving them over to God. Whether that's comfort, addiction, a negative or even harmful relationship— our future, 
We all have that one thing that we refuse to let God have control over because if we were to let it go, we would no longer have that false sense of security. And that is terrifying. When I was called to ministry initially, it terrified me. You can ask my parents. <laughs> I felt like I was going to, that God was going to put me where I didn't want to be. And with my luck, it would end up being in eastern Mongolia in the middle of nowhere. And so for a really long time, I tried to hold tight to my other interests and specifically film and what I thought was best. I even applied to universities that had amazing film programs and thought somehow that I would finagle my way into what I thought God had for me instead of actually stopping and listening to God. It took me until this past October to truly let go of the control that I thought I had. And once I did, there were so many doors opened. And I've been so blessed to be put here at Trailside serving in such a cool capacity. I'm not saying that this is easy in any way. But it, it is really hard, but I, and I still struggle with letting God dictate my future. But dying to your flesh and deciding to give those parts of yourself to God is absolutely freeing in ways that you cannot imagine. For Nicodemus, his identity was based in, uh, on his knowledge of Scripture and his authority in their society. So to even go talk to Jesus put his very identity in jeopardy. The next part of this passage I would like to unpack is verse 2 and the fact that Nicodemus approaches Jesus at night. When we think of ways to describe knowledge and the people who have lots of it, one of the most common images we use has to do with light. We call intelligent people enlightened or in the light as opposed to in the dark. And so yes, Nicodemus did literally go talk to Jesus at night, but this should not be a detail that's overlooked. As we've been saying, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was responsible for knowing and rightly interpreting all of Jewish scripture for his whole community. And because of that, he was supposed to be an enlightened person. His entire social status was based on his reputation of intelligence and competence. However, it is evident from the fact that Nicodemus entered into Jesus' presence in the dark that while he may have thought that he was in the light, he was actually in the dark because he didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. He was supposed to have all the answers. In fact, he was required to, and yet he came to Jesus with questions. And in that moment, he did give up his authority to Jesus. So when you look at this whole situation, Nicodemus is not totally in the wrong. I mean, he did go talk to Jesus, which was a dangerous endeavor considering his societal status. But the way that Nicodemus approached the whole situation is a great example of what we all do when we're not willing to relinquish control. Nicodemus went to Jesus in the physical darkness. He did this because he felt shame, and he was so concerned with his safety and the loss of his status that he went at night so that the darkness could shield him from danger and ridicule. This is the issue here is that Nicodemus tried to pursue Jesus and keep the comforts of his lifestyle. But the problem with that is that God calls us to live in contradiction to that comfort. He calls us to live dangerously and live for him, to live in the world, but not of the world. And this is so hard for us to do because we are creatures of comfort. We crave safety and certainty, and when we achieve that worldly comfort, it's really, really hard to let go of it because we're afraid that we're never going to be able to have that again. Comfort is our natural inclination. If you look at verses 19, 19 through 20, they even say, The light has come into the world. And the people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. 
This image of light and dark reminds us that knowing Jesus brings you into that light. To truly dedicate your life to Jesus while also living in darkness is impossible because to truly know Jesus is to live in that light. When you live in this light, it is impossible for you to remain the same because Jesus changes everything. Now, that is not to say that once you commit to following Jesus that you'll never sin again or that it'll be easy because if that were the case, this room would be full of people to the brim every single week. I'm telling you quite the opposite. When we live for Jesus, we are confronted with our sin in convicting ways. The difference is we no longer feel condemned for those sins. We live in the light and we are given the tools to overcome our sin and live in freedom from that sin. No one can live a completely sinless life. I mean, that's the whole reason we need Jesus, right? This is where grace comes in. There's a huge difference between committing sins and living in sin. And these can be referred to as sins of omission and sins of commission. Everyone commits sins every single day because we are broken and we are human. Those are sins of omission. We do something sinful, we realize it was wrong, and then we go to God with it. But living in sin or sins of commission is a very different thing. Living in sin means that you are consciously committing to continue in behaviors that are sinful, even though God has called you directly away from those behaviors. This, a lot of times, manifests as a comparison to other people who we consider to be worse off than us. For example, well, I know I gossip about my coworkers, but hey, I didn't kill anybody. Or um, it also manifests as justifications. Well, if you could just see it from my point of view, it's really not that bad. Or you don't understand, this, insert sin here, is in my life right now, but after this hard time is over, I promise I'll be different and I won't do it anymore. We make excuses for ourselves all the time, especially when we are well aware that living in that sin actively keeps us from a deeper relationship with God. Every believer messes up and has times in their lives where they're tethered to some kind of sin. But Proverbs 26.11 says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. We fall short and fall into the same old patterns when we hold on to our sin. But the beauty of the cross is that we don't have to be controlled by sin any longer. And even though we struggle, we know that we have Jesus who stands in our place before God so that we might have eternal life. And that's what John 3.16 is actually about. And I know it's a verse we've overused probably since the biblical canon was first formed. And especially once we figured out it was really cool to put it in our um, to put Bible verses on our Instagram bios and coffee mugs and in calligraphy on canvases everywhere. But this verse holds immense power. You no longer have to live in sin because Jesus literally died for you. And then he defeated death so that you would not have to experience eternal separation from God. And in that, Jesus both provides the light and he is the light. 1 John 1, 5 through 10 says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. 
To experience this light, however, we have to actually engage in conversation with God. We can't just expect to have a deep relationship with Jesus if we just go to church enough and mention him once over coffee with Christian friends. A relationship with Jesus takes work. One image my friend used over that retreat in February that I love is that improving your relationship with Jesus requires similar steps to improving your relationship with your earthly father, which seems appropriate since it's Father's Day. Now, I want to acknowledge that not all of us have or want a relationship with our father. Or we think that it's fine the way it is. Maybe you lost your father, or you never knew him, or maybe he's your best friend. But no matter what your relationship with your earthly father is, you have a heavenly father who deeply wants a relationship with you. He is a father who yearns for you and calls you his own. But to foster such a relationship takes work on our end. You have to actually take that first step to communicate with him. In the same way that if you want to improve your relationship with your father, you have to actually speak to one another. You can't just talk to your family or friends about your dad and expect your relationship with your dad to get any better. Now, you might get a great deal of advice from any of those people on how to improve your relationship with your dad, but, and it might make him really happy or mad, depending on the conversation. But to actually make any real change, you have to make an effort to talk to your dad to change the nature of your relationship. The same thing goes for any loved one who you want to grow in relationship with, whether that's your mom, your sister, your coworker, your friend, you name it. All relationships require effort from both ends to work. And though it might sound obvious for a lot of us, we think that this only applies to people and not to Jesus. The only difference is, when we, when we want to improve our relationship with Jesus, he is already perfect and waiting with arms spread wide. All we have to do is call on him and things begin to change. As people who identify as Christian, we love talking about how great the message was at our church that week. We love showing people how beautiful our calligraphied Bible journals are and complete with our favorite Bible verse on the front. We even love talking about Jesus to our friends to show them how great of a Christian we are. So, over this last Christmas, I went on a little run in my neighborhood, and it was the first time in a long time. I was really nervous because I have this tendency to run for a while and feel really great, and then I go like weeks and weeks and weeks without running again. Um, and this was a cycle that has just gone on for way too long, and I I had another attempt done in vain to get up good running habits over Christmas. I had been running for about seven or eight minutes right in my neighborhood in Dallas, um, and I really wasn't paying much attention. I tripped over my own feet. Now, this happens to me probably 10 times a day. Ask anyone who's known me for more than five minutes. But I never fall down. I just trip. And I'm actually an expert at catching myself because I trip so often. That day, however, was the day all of my catching you know, skills just failed and I planted full force, face planning, complete with hand scrapes and a good scrape on my knee. My wireless headphones were just all over the road. I was so flustered because I never fall down. So it was really disorienting and after a second, the pain set in. But I wasn't gonna stop my run, right? I definitely should have, but the inner high school athlete in me was not about to stop. So a couple of minutes later, a, a car drove alongside me as I had continued running, and it just so happened to be my best friend's mom. 
She slowed down to drive alongside me and rolled down the window and we talked for a minute. And I completely acted like I had not just fallen on my face in broad daylight. And I was smiling and all. When she drove ahead, I immediately slowed down again and winced because my knee really, really hurt. And I think we so often do that when we talk about our faith with others, don't we? You could have just spiritually fallen hard on the pavement, but the last thing you want is for others to know that you're still wincing from the scrapes and limping along. So for that short period of time, you put on a face as if you're closer to Jesus than ever. I know that I've found myself here so often, especially when I've fallen back into a certain sinful habit or when I feel incredibly far from God. In these moments, it's so easy for us to forget that what's missing is a conversation with Jesus. We are so deep into our own thoughts that we feel like we just have to keep limping along when, in reality, if we would just stop and ask for help, we would be able to see how God is already working to heal our situation. We tend to talk a lot about Jesus. But when it comes time to talk with him, we find that there's a roadblock. The reason this happens is that we don't like approaching relationships that are messy or complicated because it's so hard to confront our own issues. That's why when you have an issue with someone you love, your first inclination is to go talk to your best friend about it and then tell them how inconsiderate the other person is rather than letting your loved one know that something that they said hurt you. It's why we would rather skip church after something difficult happens instead of spending time in prayer. We would rather just complain about how hard life is when, um, rather than express our grievances to God. I mean, if you are a human being and you have lived with any other person in any capacity, you know how much easier it is to complain than to actually address your issues. We love the feeling that someone else relates to our problems, but we so easily shy away from the real solution, even though we know that if we would just talk to that other person or God, we would see real change happen. And even though we know that it's good for us, it's really scary. Our first thoughts are usually, what if that person or God sees that I'm vulnerable and says something hurtful? What if I express my grievance and they take it horribly and our relationship is damaged or even broken completely? Trusting that the other person or God will respond well is such a hard thing. We fill our minds with what ifs to scare ourselves away from the possibility that our lives and relationships could be changed for the better. I know that, personally, I hate confrontation. It terrifies me to think if, that if I confront somebody about an issue, they're going to hate me and think I'm trying to manipulate them. But the thing is, confrontation is healthy and good, both in our human relationships and our relationship to God. All of this goes back to our notion of control. We would much rather exist in our problems and complain about them, because when we do that, everything remains the same. And even though we are struggling, we feel this false sense of control that's oddly comfortable. It is so terrifying to give up control because when we do that, we surrender our comfort. And when we give up our comfort, we have to make the effort to change our habits. And boy, are we creatures of habit. We know that for things to really change, we have to change too. And I don't know about you, but for me, making the effort to change, and I mean really, truly change, Sometimes, at the very least, it seems like a really difficult way to go, when it would be much easier to just ignore this call from comfort and just sit in my sin. And then I wonder why things aren't getting any better. And this is why it's so easy to relate to Nicodemus in this passage. If we look back at our scripture for today, Nicodemus was doing this very thing. He, like many of us, was willing to go to Jesus, but he wasn't willing to surrender his comfort. 
His curiosity was great enough that he mustered up the courage to go to Jesus and ask questions. But once it came time to actually trust in what Jesus was saying, Nicodemus struggled. Jesus sees this immediately and calls him out for it in verse 12. He says, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of earthly things, of heavenly things? Sorry. What Nicodemus doesn't understand is that he needs Jesus because he is broken. Jesus tells him right then and there that if he can't understand what the problem is, or that there is even a problem to begin with, that there's no way he can understand the solution. He can't understand what it's like to be freed from his brokenness and welcomed into an eternal communion with God if he doesn't even realize that he's broken in the first place. In the same way, we have to look at ourselves and realize our brokenness if we're ever going to be freed from it. And just knowing about Jesus is not enough to free us. We have to seek to know him. With that, the main thing I want you to know is that knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus are not the same thing. It is really easy to think that we have some amazing relationship with Jesus when we know a lot about him. How many of us grew up thinking our relationship with Jesus was perfect because our parents dragged us every single Sunday to church, rain or shine, we could sing the whole 66 books of the Bible song, and we knew about Jesus feeding the 5,000? For me, it wasn't until college that I realized that I really didn't know Jesus' character much at all. An example I like to give to illustrate this is with celebrities. Say you love Brad Pitt. You've seen all of his movies. You know all about his relationships with Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie, all of his kids' names and his top five vacation spots. You know a lot about him. However, if he walked past you on the street and you ran up to him as if you were lifelong friends, he would either ignore you or probably call the police because he thought you were a stalker. This is because you don't actually know and have a relationship with Brad Pitt. You just know a lot about him. In our relationship with Jesus, just knowing him, knowing about him is dangerous. In Matthew 7, 21, verses 21 through 23, Jesus explicitly states that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is concerned with you knowing him. Though we are called to go out and love others well, all the works that we supposedly do for God are completely worthless if we don't even have a relationship with the God that we're serving. The costs of knowing about Jesus without fostering any sort of relationship are vast. Just knowing about Jesus leads us to struggle with doubt and frustration. It leads us to insecurity in relationships with others and with God. We feel discontent and unfulfilled. We feel unstable because we don't have a firm foundation. And with that comes a crumbling self-esteem because we ask ourselves, do I know enough? And if I don't, does that mean that I've failed? The thing is, when we prioritize knowing about Jesus more than we prioritize pursuing Jesus, that knowledge becomes an idol that we try to use to replace Jesus. We try to rely on ourselves. And even though it, we seem like we might know a lot, we constantly fear the unknown and feel like we have to uncover more knowledge just to keep up. But here's the big difference between Brad Pitt and Jesus. 
while, like any normal human being, Brad Pitt would most likely put out a restraining, on you, a restraining order on you if you ran up to him, Jesus does just the opposite. When we come to him, fully vulnerable and willing, we are not turned away or ignored. When you come into his presence, he says, yes. He treats you like the beloved child of God that you are, whether you believe it or not. He, comes, he welcomes you in and sees you as the person he died for, regardless of how you see yourself. Pursuing a relationship with Jesus does not come easy. Nicodemus knew very well that he could lose his family, authority, social standing, and security for just going to see Jesus that one time. He understood the risk of being ridiculed and outcast by his friends because they were supposed to be actively opposing Jesus. But what he stood to gain vastly outweighed the cost, as it does with each one of us. When we pursue a real relationship with Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we are made new. When strife comes, we no longer crumble because our foundation is in Jesus and not on our own understanding. We love people as Jesus loves and we see each person of worthy of that same love that we have been shown. We gain a new community of believers who we can call a family and we gain an eternity with God our Father. In Galatians 3, 24-29, Paul writes, So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have been put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to his promise. When we come to Jesus with everything we have, not just our habits change, our identities change. We are no longer who we used to be because we are children of God. When we posture our hearts to pursue Jesus rather than knowledge, we, turn, we in turn enter into that light that we are called to. Verse 21 for today says, But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. God does not call us to be comfortable. Nothing about living for Jesus is comfortable. But it's a life filled to the brim with hope and joy. When we are in the light, we are exposed. Our sin is laid out before God and we are fully vulnerable. But this exposure is not harmful or damaging. No. In this exposure, we are not cast aside when we take that first step into the light. And like a warm fire that we huddle around in the middle of the night, this exposure brings us together and brings us warmth and comfort. It is not harsh. It is inviting. In this exposure, we find that we are deeply and fully loved, and we are able to trust that God has complete control. And I thank God for that. God is to be holy and completely trusted, and he is the only one worthy to give our lives to. To know Jesus is to live in the light with the knowledge that we are nowhere close to perfect, but that we are being continually made perfect through Jesus, his death, and his resurrection. Now, you may be hearing this and think that what you have done is too much for Jesus, that as you step into that light to be exposed, that you will be cast aside. Maybe you believe that if you actually laid out everything and took a step closer to that flame, that it would burn you. 
or that you've taken too many steps away from it and you feel like you're out in the cold and in the middle of the darkness. Maybe you feel unwelcomed into the community of believers because you're surrounded by people who know a lot about Jesus, but they don't push you to grow into relationship with him. Or maybe you're like Nicodemus who thought he knew everything while inside he honestly hadn't fully bought into the idea of who Jesus was. Maybe you have left church week after week feeling empty because even though you checked off your attendance each Sunday, you are scared to take that first step and actually give over your comfort and control. Or maybe you have fully committed your life to Jesus and you just need to be reminded that the fire that Jesus provides is a place to sit and rest in times of heartache as well as joy. Jesus invites us to come into that light, to sit with him, to get angry, to cry, to rejoice, to ask questions. And in our messiness, Jesus fully embraces us in his deep, unconditional love. In this song we are about to sing, it talks a lot about the fact that Jesus does not give his heart in pieces. I hope that as we worship together, you would reflect on that deep love that Jesus has for you. Fully exposed and wholly loved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for who you are and everyone you've brought here this morning, Lord. I pray that if anyone here feels like they're in the darkness, Lord, that you would just bring them into that light, Lord. Being exposed is not something that we should be afraid of, Lord. It should be something that brings us together and makes us feel like we're closer to you. Lord, I just pray that as we sing this last song, that you would just be working through us and in our hearts, Lord. I pray that you would lead us to come to that fire and sit and rest, Lord. And we love you. Thank you for giving us a relationship with Jesus. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.